Hello and welcome back to the Swedish podcast. In this week's episode, I had the great pleasure of talking to food writer, broadcaster and food creative Rachel Koo and more recently immigrant to Sweden. Yes, Rachel now lives in Sweden and has most recently published her latest recipe book, The Little Swedish Kitchen. If you don't have a copy, why don't you have a copy? I do have a copy and it's one of my favourite recipe books that we use quite regularly. Um, But in this episode, we discussed why food for her plays such an important part in learning about new cultures. Um, As you'll probably find out, she has lived in many different cities and places around the world. And she's always gone back to her staple food in order to feel more at home in anywhere that she's lived. So please do enjoy. It was a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I really hope that we can welcome Rachel back to the podcast again. Also to note that this was recorded remotely at a time when uh, we weren't able to actually be in the same place at the same time. So please do forgive us if the sound quality isn't up to your uh, expectations or standards with a podcast. Um, But we've tried our best to uh, remedy that in post-production. Okay, well, I just want to welcome this week's uh, podcast guest, Rachel Koo, uh, food writer, broadcaster and creative. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, as we said before, we're doing this remotely, of course, social distancing at this time. Um, but um, it's a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, it's something that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, how are you? Yeah, good. The sun is shining. I'm in Sweden. This is probably the best place to be at the moment. Yeah, no, no. Uh, we can still go outside. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so, Rachel, I um, the reason that I wanted to invite you onto the podcast, the premise of this podcast that we're doing, the Swedish podcast, is basically mm. to kind of you know there is this paradox that we all 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 of us immigrants live in while we're um, living in foreign countries which is essentially being stuck between two different cultures and um, I think for in Sweden particularly food is a really big part of life here Um, yeah what would you would you agree well, look, I, Sweden is now, okay, I grew up in the UK, I lived in Germany, I lived in Paris, and now I'm living in Sweden. So Sweden is now the fourth country which I've lived in, and I found every country I've lived in, the way to get to know a culture, I find the easiest way is free food, because yep. you can be very social, um, you can discover history, you can discover cultural aspects. Um, so it's a really easy way into Mm. what integrating I've always found because the people you want to make friends with are people who you don't need to cook but you need to eat like eating if you don't like eating then I don't think you're worth being friends with (laughs) (laughs) I'm being so blatant blatant (laughs) there but basically if you you know I don't care whether you can cook baked beans or toast or not but I care if you enjoy food then we're going to connect 
Yeah. And um, I, you know, the last country I lived in before moving to Sweden, well, actually, it was the UK, but the last foreign country I lived in was France. Yeah. And it was very tough integrating into Paris, you know, um, especially because I didn't speak the language and the French aren't particularly good at English. So it's very difficult. And so I had this experience of like, how do I integrate into Swedish society? Yeah. And, uh, and food just came naturally, you know, I mean, mm. I do it as a job, but at the same time, I wanted to make Sweden my new home. I don't yeah. want to feel like I'm living in this bubble uh, and not understanding people. I mean, my Swedish is quite rudimentary. It's fine. I get by, but really kind of make it my home. And to make a place your home, you have to understand a bit of the culture and, uh, food traditions is part of Swedish culture. Yeah. I mean, you think midsummer, you think crayfish parties, you think Yule board, uh, like uh, that's exactly how I feel that's exactly my experience of it as well you know every significant part of the year um because I I believe that Swedes are very seasonal in that respect you know they're very kind of they like to follow uh and I think that goes a long way back to the kind of agricultural roots and fishing and and so on and so forth you know they're they they take it they take their seasonal produce very seriously hence Mm. why um each significant part of the season is celebrated in some way by a festival or a yeah. kind of gathering of food and and uh you know the specific types of food um so anyway that's why i wanted to have a a, a, a specific podcast episode dedicated to this and i thought well you know who better than you as a fellow <laughs> as a fellow immigrant to to share in that and also because well you've written a book about it so <laughs> Yeah. I mean, food for me is, it's not just about cooking a recipe. It's always Mm. got some emotional, cultural, historical connection. Mm. And when I moved to Sweden, it just felt natural to explore the food culture and to learn about Swedish culture through food. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've done in the cookbook. And I say right at the beginning, this is not the ultimate guide to Swedish food. This is my version of Swedish Swedish food how I discovered it how I've made it my own tradition how I like to cook it at home um and yeah so it's kind of showing Swedish food hence that's why I think it's actually been translated into Swedish by a Swedish publisher which I think is a bit weird because it's like I'm a British (laughs) I'm a Brit telling the Swedes how to cook you know like um they don't knock it (laughs) yeah Wallenberger or you know their meatballs um I'm telling them how to do that so it's a bit ironic but um I think it's quite funny you know it's a different point of view on Swedish food yeah so and I wanted to share that with an international audience because often uh Swedish food is uh, what's the right word I'm trying to think of a politically correct word um well it's <laughs> it is not you know up at, up with French Italian no, it's, 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 it's the, the perfect term really when you think about it is the Swedish term isn't it the Husman's cost you know the yes. the the, the I, I don't want to get in a direct translation wrong but it's like um oh. I say it's like because uh, in German they have the same word <laughs> house um I feel like, but it's like home cooked food. It's like yeah. the food a working Rudim- person would eat. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the Italians, food. Italians have povera cucina. Am I, excuse my Italian. I don't actually speak it, but the poor man's kitchen, 
you know, uh-huh. so that's what exactly, I would call yes. uh, yes. who cost is like the working person's food. And that's yeah. why I think Swedish food is generally quite, you know, hearty. Um, uh-huh. It was supposed to sustain people working, you yeah. know, in all elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, so, and also working with what you have around you. I mean, Swedish food is heavily based in the preserving, the fermenting, the pickling, Mm -hmm. the smoking, because it was only a short period of time in the year you could actually grow something. Mm. Well, so before we get on to the rest of that, because I know that I, w- I want to talk about this as well, I want to talk a little bit just about you and also mm. about the book, The Little Swedish Kitchen. So before we, mm. so we can do that. Yeah. Um, so uh, Rachel, you moved to Sweden in 2016. And yes. before that, you were, as you said, you were living in four different countries. Um, uh, so you were, it was the uh, uh, Germany. Well, the I was... Yeah, and, I and lived in those countries. Yeah, and the last place I've lived in before I moved to Sweden, I was back in the UK because I was uh, basically most of my business was coming out of the UK. Yeah, yeah. And but your first book was published in two thousand and ten, which I think is just incredible. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a decade ago. Oh my goodness, I've been doing this food writing malarkey for ten years. I don't I'm know. Oldie. I don't know if I've actually told you this, but I remember watching the. Little Paris, Little Paris Kitchen, yeah. On television on Sunday afternoons, not going to lie, probably pretty hungover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going, oh my God, that looks amazing. Oh my God. And that, must have been, <laughs> that must have been like, yeah, it's the same in 2012 when that, yeah. when that first came out. So yeah. it's, I think it, it's incredible that, um, yeah, this, the, the, the longevity <laughs> that you've had is amazing. It's amazing. I, I'm, I'm astounded, but I've always said, you know, when I pitched these ideas and then afterwards got an agent, I, I said to my agents, I'm in this for the long haul. So I want whatever business decisions I make, it's because I want to have a long career. I'm not yeah. going to be a flash in the pan. Yeah. Uh, excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> I love a pun. pun. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. So then you moved in 2006, you moved to Sweden. And mm. um, I, um, I, I have a copy of your Little Swedish Kitchen book, I mm. um, And the, I immediately fell in love with it when I read your introduction. To Thank book. you. Um, because it really, it, it just Im- immediately transported me to your first initial kind of meeting. Uh, not meeting is not the right word, but yeah. your experiences of Swedish cuisine, or <laughs> cuisine is a, that's maybe the wrong term to use, but Swedish food and the mm. culture that goes a- a- alongside it. So tell me, how did you, how did you, um, start with your journey with Swedish food? So, um, I mean, Paris, I moved to Paris to study patisserie, but Sweden, I moved to Sweden because of love. Mm. Like most people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Friends, Swedish, yeah. you know, uh, So basically that was the reason why I moved to Stockholm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I fell into the Swedish food scene via like very much 
home food. So from my mother-in-law, mm-hmm. what she was cooking at home. So my uh, new, like my in-laws, basically, my new family, discovering the culture through my now husband. You know, and did they know? I mean, when you were when you were kind of learning from them, did they obviously they knew about your background and your experience mm. that you'd had before? So was it kind of something that they were really excited to share with you or was it more kind of a you know just a sort of everyday life kind of you just get on with it sort of thing it was a a bit of a mix you know I always ask questions because I'm very curious and I feel like life is all about learning and and you Mm -hmm. need to stay curious and you need to ask questions um because I love learning you know I love uh I, I always feel like I when I embark on a project I want to learn something new I want to develop and push myself so um it was a mixture of like you know everyday cooking and uh also um like learning about the cultures the big you know food events in in Swedish calendar yeah Um, but it could be as simple as I remember like just hanging out at Swedish supermarkets a lot at the beginning I just loved going around (laughs) the aisles and picking up packages because my Swedish was very basic so sometimes I'd pick up a box of you know it'd be a box of salt but I like the look of it you know I didn't know it was a box of salt so um I, you know, whenever I go to a foreign country, I always love going to the supermarket because that is how people shop on an everyday basis. Mm. And you get a very good insight on, well, what do people like to eat? You know, what is accessible to them? What, you know, um, that's a really, that's a really interesting insight because the majority of immigrants that I come into contact with on a daily basis say that their first experiences of culture shock actually take place in and around food shopping so they don't you know instead of kind of embracing it such as like like you do going this is this is how you get to know a culture or get to know a new uh uh, a new place um yeah that's that instantaneous oh my god they don't have what i need (laughs) or how do i find that kind of yeah i think that's such an interesting way of of actually flipping it around and going no this is my perfect opportunity to learn how yeah. they, how this how this works and who they are and what is their heritage and etc cetera, etc cetera. so well yeah sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you but I just no 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 that's okay I I think that's exactly and also um I mean my background in food writing because I write uh cookbooks for the UK market but then they are translated in various different languages like mm. from Japanese to Korean to mm. uh Spanish actually not Spanish, uh, Portuguese, sorry, Uh, Italian, I don't know, it's many, many different languages. And often when I work with a foreign publisher, they will say, like, for instance, Japan, it's a bit harder to get certain dairy products. So they say, well, is there something else we could use? And so I have to work with local markets. And when writing, like, The Little Swedish Kitchen, I had to think, okay, right, this is what the Swedes use but in yeah. back in the UK you might not be able to access like colors caviar yeah um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I, uh, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean uh, it's not my cup of tea I love Marmite but colors caviar is definitely same not same, same same well anyway we'll get, yeah. to, we'll get to the, we'll get to some of the <laughs> delicacies in a bit um so yeah so the so how did you I think I mean you, you kind of really placed yourself at the, at the heart of the Swedish food scene, didn't you? You decided that you were going to delve further into it yeah. by, um, by joining a Swedish uh, restaurant. 
Yeah, so basically, uh, the Little Paris Kitchen TV show in 2012 had just come out. And I was thinking, okay, well, like, I need to do something a bit different, you know? And I'd never worked in a Michelin starred restaurant or a restaurant of that level. Mm -hmm. uh, so I approached uh, Magnus Nielsen, um, who uh, was the head chef at Fairbacon, which is now closed. It's mm -hmm. in, near Aura. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember getting a small plane and then a train and then being picked up by one of the sous chefs. And I've never in my life been felt so sick, like so nervous. I've, you know, I've done like BBC, the one show, where yeah. it's live to millions of viewers. <laughs> Not a problem. But actually working in a Michelin starred or a restaurant, I was, I just... I felt so nervous, like, um, and I, I only can, spent two weeks I can weeks understand there. that, though. I can understand that. The pressure is kind of immense, really. Yeah, it is quite immense. And also the fact that, um, I mean, I was the only woman, uh -huh. uh, which is not unusual because I've worked in restaurants or uh, professional kitchens before where I'm the only woman. Yeah. Um, and actually, I must say, out of all the kitchens I've worked in, that, that was no big deal. Yeah. Like, actually, it was they. I had no back chat or sexism or any of that, which I've yeah. experienced before in other professional kitchens. Yeah. Um, uh, and I remember absolutely ruining one of the can of, like the, the amuse-bouche, like the, the little starters. I completely faffed it up. And Magnus, like, just looked at me. And I wanted just to, <laughs> like, all the blood left my head. And I just wanted to sink into the ground. And he's just like, okay, next course, let's move on. And I was like, oh. <laughs> But, uh, it was a great learning experience. I mean, I did a lot of scrubbing of toilets and washing up, but mm -hmm. I don't mind, you know, if I'm there to learn, I don't mind getting yeah. my, rolling up my sleeves and getting my hands dirty. So that was a really good insight into kind of this Nordic, uh, food scene, which is very much amongst like all the chefs. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, for me, I'm always more interested in what people cook at home. Yeah. So discovering like taco Fridays. Yeah, I love that. I just like I just thought that all like what's that uh, kebab pizza? I'm not yeah. such a big fan of kebab pizza, but I think it's hilarious. And like the, 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 the story behind that, the pizza salad. Like, what is that about? Yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love like, pizza salad. It's just like, but I love a pizza salad actually. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I actually have a, a, a like a little version of that in the cookbook. Yes, but um, yeah, it's it's really interesting to get these cultural insights and mm -hmm. something you might not experience necessarily if you're just visiting mm -hmm. uh, yeah. like you know restaurants don't really do taco fridays it's something you experience at home yeah uh, yeah and i think that's what that's what i mean that's what uh, you know for this particular for this for this purpose this podcast that's what i'm really interested in as well is mm. these sort of you know as you say home 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 traditions much more ingrained traditions hidden yeah the surface of you know what the what we all see on the on the, on you know swedish PR, as it were, yes. you know, these little things that, you know, are day-to-day -day, uh, day -day things that happen in people's homes. Um, and I think that's what your book encapsulates so perfectly as well. It's things that people wouldn't necessarily have known about Swedish foods and traditional mm. heritage. Um, so um, it's, um, you know, you, you were mentioning, talking about earlier about the, the, the pickles and, the, and how that was, it was all to do with the, 
what was available to people and that yes. was that that top that goes way back to um you know back in a few hundred years ago when you you're right you know there wasn't there was a limited supply of produce because of the the time of years in which the, the period in which people had to grow things and preserving things and so on and so forth um and it's incredible that that still exists today it's yes. one of the few places in uh, that well that I've ever I've not travelled very very much I've not lived in very many countries but um, it's one of the few con- I think Sweden's one of the few countries that still has or still has maintained that kind of classic yeah the the classic um, and also what's interesting Vincent's I mean my background is French patisserie that's what I trained in professionally. Um, and in France, like baking uh, is often left to the professionals because every village had a little bakery, a little patisserie or something. Whereas here, because uh, Sweden is such a big country which, with such a small population, home baking is a lot more developed mm. and it's very regional. Mm-hmm. So for instance, in the south of Sweden, uh, like the traditions of baking a certain bread or whatever, they would use a certain grain. Whereas in the north of Sweden, you can't grow wheat. So they use, I don't know, rye or whatever I don't I can't remember exactly but the because the rural and geographical aspect plays such a big influence here and everybody lives spread out so it was the person at home well usually the the woman had to do the baking and 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 so that's why Swedish baking is a lot more rustic Mm -hmm. and I find and less refined as French uh uh, or even Austrian yeah. Um, so yeah that's all that kind of the geography also plays a role in in food mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that is uh, I think it's a great way this this idea of looking at the food and heritage and and and, and how they play a part in um, significant significant events taking place throughout the year it's such a great way to actually get to know Sweden as you were saying in terms of yeah. you know integration in terms of um, feeling as though you can start making this place a home for yourself is by familiarizing yourself with all of these things you know mm. um, and like for example there are some things that I still cannot get my I can't quite make myself do like the I uh, <laughs> I have to admit, I cannot bring myself to eat pickled herring. I just can't do it. So, oh, really? I quite like pickled herring. I don't, I'm not a oh. big fan of surströming. Oh, no. Not, I've never <laughs> even attempted. No, 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 no. I've never even attempted that. Never even, I just, but I think, and I, you know, and it's probably got a lot to do with the fact that it, when I was brought up, I, I, you know, didn't really eat very much fish and certainly mm. not a lot of pickled um, produce either so it's a very unusual and different taste for me and the texture is not particularly wonderful either yeah because it plays such a significant part in the Swedish food heritage here it's served pretty much at every single major holiday you know it's it, you kind of get to a point where you're like I really should actually maybe kind of get on board with this <laughs> But it's like, ah. Oh. Um, and then, of course, yeah, there's things like Cali's caviar, um, which 
Is there anything that you really do put your foot down at? Uh, I'm not a big fan of Cutter's Caviar. I remember I was in a coffee shop in uh, when I first moved to Stockholm in um, Maria Toyet, and I went to have a coffee. I was going to work from there, and I was going to get some breakfast, and they had egg with caviar. Mm. The lady asked her, like, do you want caviar on it? And I'm like, oh, caviar, yes. Who does want caviar on there? <laughs> egg for breakfast. And then I got this <laughs> egg with this squeezy paste pinkish paste on it and I was like what the is that you know and I was yeah it is not for me I mean I I, I like I mean if I have to I will but I am not I don't buy the stuff that's it's not really my thing um yeah so that's one thing I'm like uh so strumming I'm not I like I just don't buy it I wouldn't make uh you know uh, effort to eat it no. so, there are other things i'd rather use my calories on basically yeah, <laughs> yeah i and uh, but i do i mean the thing that i have started to appreciate um much more is um the uh other other kind of um cost as it were um, yes so Pitipanna, like the is one of my favorite favorite dishes um just because it's quick and easy to do you throw it all in a pan and that's that's pretty much it and um the pitipanna that's in your the little swedish kitchen is mm. i have to say particularly delicious it's a very good um uh take on the swedish christmas cost i really really like it um is there anything do you have any if you were to recommend one dish that Ooh, you would like choosing, if you had lots I know, of children, it's hard. Isn't it? It's really hard. <laughs> okay, firstly, for me, it depends on the season, and then whether the person's vegan or gluten free or has various different oh, dietary okay. restrictions. Yeah. Okay, well, there's one thing. Okay, which would fit every dietary restriction possible is like I have this chocolate cake. Uh, in the recipe which is uh, vegan gluten-free nut-free refined sugar-free grain-free but it tastes pretty amazing and it's super easy to do you just literally bung all the ingredients in a blender blitz it up and pour it into a tin um, and bake it it's like a a Swedish kladdkaka but um, a bit more kind of friendly for when you're doing you know when you're entertaining it came basically the recipe came about one midsummer i was invited to midsummer and the hostess asked uh can you bring the dessert along and i said sure fine she said can you make a chocolate cake i said yeah fine and then she said can it be vegan can it be nut free can it and then she started <laughs> oh my God. and I, I come from a french patisserie background where it's like butter sugar and eggs you know yeah, so yeah. like every time I, I'm turning white and or you know going absolutely pale so I spent two weeks testing this recipe nailed it really happy you know good result it fit all the criteria yeah. I got to the party I put it on top of the piano uh-huh. it's like a standing standing piano and um went to help the hostess in the kitchen before I know it there was this little puppy who jumped up on the um, piano and started eating it <gasps> oh no I mean oh. The dog was fine, but the cake was not fine. Oh, no. So, oh in God. the end, everybody got tin peaches. <laughs> After two weeks of testing. Yeah, yeah. So, they got oh, like, tin peaches and, a, and custard. I, mean, I managed to make a custard, but the custard wasn't 
it wasn't dairy free and it wasn't vegan and it had sugar in it so it was like yeah so anybody had dietary requirements had to eat peaches but um yeah so that was the story behind that cladkaka interesting but it's but it that sounds i i have to say i do love a cladkaka and yeah anything that you know can be used to entertain the masses i'm down yes yeah and it's super easy I really so with my writing when I develop recipes my goal is you know the biggest compliment as a food writer is visit somebody and you discover your book and it is like literally got dog ears it's splattered on they've really used it and so I really test my recipes and write them with the intention that people make them at home yeah and so you know super approachable uh i always say like i try and give you know you can switch things in they're simple things they're quick things but they're also things when you really want to impress a friend or you know doing some more entertaining so it's a whole range of recipes from yeah the whole whole year round really Mm. and 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 that's that's something i really like about the book actually as well is it does continue that seasonality that the Swedes kind of um, yes. favour, which is really useful to know. You know, I think that's one of the things. Like when you do have a dinner party, or you are entertaining people, and you yeah. go, "Oh my god, right? What do I? What am I going to make them?" And then you think, "Okay, it's uh, October, and yeah. uh, what's available? Right, apples, uh, root vegetables. Okay, that means, yeah. that means this is you know I can go into Rachel's book and I can see exactly what what I should be making for that time of year." perfect yeah um and uh if you were to recommend to somebody listening to the podcast Mm. uh, a place to go in sweden i know that we're not technically allowed to visit anywhere in sweden right now but if you were (laughs) are we not (laughs) well apparently not no they're kind of like go they're i think they're edging towards uh you know no, no, they're not. They're never going to do a lockdown, but they're definitely edging towards a don't travel if you don't have to. Um, okay. Anyway, um, anyway, uh, <laughs> where, where would I go in Sweden? Where would oh, you like, recommend? Where would you recommend somebody to go in Sweden um, for a pretty authentic food experience, culinary experience? Oh, uh, ideally, get invited around to somebody's house. <laughs> that's a brilliant Uh, answer it's like is it really you want to get invited to somebody's home um i mean i actually think airbnb do not like i'm i work with i'm sponsored by them but they do culinary experiences like you can meet a local or something like that um which i think is quite fun if you're visiting that's what i think if you're visiting sweden from another place then i always think you know try and meet up with a local because restaurants are great but um, it's quite a unique experience to uh, go eat at somebody's home. So I, I started in, with pop-up restaurants like mm. uh, back in 2000, oh, a decade ago, a long time ago, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it, it's, I always really enjoyed that cultural exchange between mm. you know you have between different people from different places yeah. and you know eating at somebody at home is so different to like eating in a restaurant and often I think you know maybe the food might not be Michelin starred but you get such a unique uh, insight into the yeah. into the culture 
because as you say it's not just about the food is it no it's about it's no. about the it's about the experience it's about the you know being a part of somebody's uh, ritual daily daily rituals and life and 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 i think you know this con the idea that you've presented here today on the podcast about using using food as a way of really getting to know a culture is um i know we you, you, something that you've kind of you, you've lived through many 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 times through many mm. many many different uh, different countries but that's actually a really kind of novel concept to me <laughs> and now that you've said it I'm like oh my god I've been living in Sweden for five years and I've never thought about it like that before um so I think that's a, a really great takeaway from this is you know actually yeah, getting into people's homes, inviting yes. them around, you know, sharing food at a table with them, talking. Um, yeah. Really, really. I think that's, that is the most, that's what I love about food. That's why I started cooking, mm. was that you can bring people together. Mm. What food enables you to do is like, obviously you can, you express an idea, but uh, you express, you know, like how you're feeling a little bit. But the main thing of food is to bring people together, you mm. know, mm. and it's that magic. I love, you know, when I, especially when I did a lot of pop-ups was bringing strangers, strangers together. And you had that magic moment where everybody's chatting and interacting. And it, like an hour ago, they didn't even know, each other so yeah so that that is something really special um and i read a book last year by priya parker mm -hmm. and it's called the art of gathering and it's really interesting how you can when you are bringing people together how you can create more meaning to yeah. that gathering and i think in today's day and age it is worth to really think how you curate your dinner party you know yeah. how what is what is it you're trying to do i mean you're bringing people together but when you add that extra level of meeting uh, um, sorry extra level of meaning you will make it more memorable the food yeah. can be mediocre but when people have that human connection yeah. that is something very unique and special yeah definitely definitely well on that kind of insightful note i'm gonna we're gonna wrap up the podcast um is there anything that you would like to anything you would like to share with us anything you want to promote yeah so well not really promote i mean like it's just such a weird time at the moment and especially yeah. being a brit and consuming like all the media the british media and being in sweden i feel just so blessed at the moment mm. to be here um I have often, I struggle with the winters and stuff like that, but at the same time, uh, and certain cultural aspects of Swedish culture, but at the same time, I am like, wow, I am so fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just like, it, it's, uh, yeah, the crazy world we live in um, and that we have technology and we can connect with people. I think mm. it's great. Stay I connected, mean, regardless yeah. of whether Stay it's... connected. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, and, and don't feel too hard on yourself. It's like, yes. uh, there's, so much content at the moment i mean i have an online like social media profile and i'm so bad at it but i'm just like i i can't keep up with all the stuff people are putting out there um and so yeah just do whatever it takes to get through it basically yeah and i would i would second that i um 
I have, I, in the last couple of days, definitely hit a wall with um, capacity for being able to actually do stuff. And mm. somebody said to me the other day, you know, I managed to change the beds today. That was, that was my, uh, that was my achievement for the day. And I was like, yeah, that's totally right. You know, if, you know, we can just get through every day, one day at a time by just achieving a, a tiny, a tiny little thing, whether it's at home or whatever. Like that's, that's how human beings are going to survive the next couple of weeks and so on. So, um, I'm, I'm kind of scaling back, uh, stuff for my, for my own sanity as it were, just to, um, preserve it really. <laughs> Good on you. I just like do whatever it takes, you know, yeah. there's no set rules. So exactly. yeah. Absolutely. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, thank you. It was really just, it was absolutely my pleasure. And it was, I could talk to you about food and about gatherings and about, you know, bringing people together all day. But uh, we we both have lives to lead, so (laughs) get on with that. Um, But uh, hopefully, maybe we'll invite you back another time. Okay, pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, remote distancing. Um, uh, But yeah, thank you so much, Rachel. Um, Thank you. Take care.